2020. I am Shale Riley. Welcome to the Yang Gang Roundtable, a basic income advocacy podcast where we also talk about electoral politics and poverty a lot because the three are interconnected. And we have Rob Placone here. I hope I got your name right. Placone? Uh, it's Placone. But Look, Ron, enough. oh my God, and you're Ron Placone. Great, right? All right, Ron, Ron. Yes, that's me, Placone. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there we go. I'm sorry. I just. <laughs> Thanks for going on. Almost like so, alcohol, uh, but it's Ron Placone. Hello, who's on first? Who's who's on second? Who's oh, Jacqueline? On- welcome, welcome to the show. <laughs> I didn't know you were here either. I'm never so, first. Uh, let's get things started here, uh, fellas. You know, we talk about current events. We talk about what's going on in our lives. Um, who would Who'd like to begin? Um, anyway, actually, do you want to introduce yourself? So, Ron, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I have the order all wrong. Please introduce yourself, and then we'll do what I just said. Uh, okay. Well, my name is Ron Placone, and uh, good to meet everybody. Hey, Ron. What's up? <laughs> all right. I guess, I guess I'll go second if no one else wants to go. Sorry, I'm walking around here. Just, just got home. Just trying to get set up. But my name is Zach. And uh, I love this group. We uh, hang out every Sunday. And um, I also have my own channel, which I'll throw out there real quick. It's called the Liberal Conservative Report. Find it on YouTube, Spotify, anywhere you can get podcasts pretty much. And uh, it's part personal vlog and part uh, guests. I have guests on, I interview them. That's about all. Hi, this is Jeremy. Uh, I'm a UBI activist out here in Missouri. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Jeremy Sammons one That is J-E-R-E-M-Y-S-A-M-M-O-N-S and the number one. I am Mia. Um, I am obviously a UBI advocate like everyone else here, except for probably Rod. Um, and uh, I am also a mother to an autistic child on the far end of the spectrum and a caregiver for him. Um, other than that, I'm also a human, which is, you know, kind of hard to be these days. And uh, that's it. Um, at me a songbird on Twitter. So I'm Ariel. I'm also a UBI advocate. I run a YouTube channel called Revolutionary Thinking, which uh, just talks about philosophy and uh, I switched more to politics when uh, Yang was running. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at, at Ariel's underscore Armada. I'm Jacqueline Homan. And like everybody else here, I'm a UBI advocate. And um, I speak out and write out a lot about UBI and about poverty. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Jacqueline Homan. I think we got everybody except Izzy there. Oh, oh, it's just me. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, um, I'm Ishmael Izzy, Izzy Bowden. Um, also a UBI advocate. Well, on the sidelines, you know, I'm not like on the front lines or anything, but, uh, uh, I'm also on the autistic spectrum based in the Chicago area. I have, have a YouTube channel called Izzy Land YT and, you know, uh, as well as a podcast called, uh, Izzy Land, uh, Uncut, um, Plan on doing the first episode uh, today, maybe later today or so. Um, and um, uh, what else? Uh, yeah, just just yeah, just going through a lot of you know stuff and and whatever, and um, just just trying to like uh, uh, you know maybe someday become a content creator or businessman. 
if if possible. Um, and yeah, like I'm I'm a I'm a human, and it's like you know I try to be humanity first as as much as I can because I feel like that is significantly lacking in the society. And there are other cultures, you know that you know they that look out for their own, like what um, our previous guest, you know J- Jose mentioned, where um, cultures like that, you know who who have their own communities, like they they you know when they things like Black Lives Matter aren't you know, aren't needed in their place because they all matter and they, they all look out for each other. If you reach out, they will, they will help you. And, and I, and I want to, um, to, to like, uh, bring that here in this society. I mean, I feel like Andrew Yang, he, he, you know, he, he, uh, uh, took the first step, whatever, like he, he, he did that. And, um, you know, and, and I've always wanted to, because like I see a pattern, a toxic pattern where we're wasting lives and wasting people's times, and you know, and nothing's, no one's really doing anything about it. So, people like me do gotta step up because there aren't many people like me here. Just those who throw their hands up, you know that, and they happen to be the ones in power, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I wish I could do more, but you know, I I do what I can. It's like if someone reaches out to me, like I will try, I will try something even if even if it makes my health worse like i don't care about any of that it's like it's you know i don't want that hanging over my head so yeah i'm done yeah so so ron uh i think most of us are aware that you were definitely a a, a huge uh bernie supporter is that appropriate to say um at least as a a very supportive of the sanders campaign um uh i mean i i supported bernie i voted for bernie um i would not describe myself as a huge supporter of any politician especially you know as of recent like i mean usually as far as electoral politics goes i mean yeah i i pick the candidate i feel is the strongest but um but that's about as far as it goes i mean i you know i i wasn't handed my political views because of bernie sanders i had my political views and bernie sanders you know, was a viable candidate that shared a lot of the views that I held. So, you know, I supported him for president. Um, but, you know, I certainly don't. Um, I'm not a follower, if, if if that makes sense. But, uh, but you know, I like him. Perfect I, sense, yeah. So, uh, oh, and sorry about my intro. I didn't realize we were, like, giving a short blip about ourselves, too. I thought you were being literal. No, like, well, we were just what? supposed to say, my name is Ron. Hello. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm a, it's, my, it's on me. So I'm, sorry I'm the mine sucks. I'm a host guy here. I really should have explained it better. My bad, but thank you. You can always <laughs> um, go for a second take. I just, it's like a pirate, it's a pirate ship here. Now, Let me try take. again. So, so no, Ron, you know, I think, I think I'm pretty similar politically to you. I was a big Bernie supporter um, at the same time as being a Yang supporter, thinking initially like Yang has got no real chance. And then as Yang's, you know, popularity grew, I shifted to being primarily a Yang supporter and secondarily a Bernie supporter. So I really understand where you're coming from. You say you're not a follower, you know, we're just picking the package that most closely matches our ideal. And if you've, you know, really done your own thinking, you probably don't have the boilerplate ideal of any candidate or party. So it makes sense to me. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that. I mean, especially like, um, I don't know. I mean, this is kind of nitpicky and this is something that I I don't like to talk about often because I don't want people to think I'm being like way too... I guess nitpicky, but like I, I'm not a fan when people say stuff like Bernie Krat or, or, or Tulsi Krat or whatever Krat. Like I'm not a fan of that because that's sort of like it's giving one person credit for an entire ideology, and it's like I mean I know uh, when people yeah, use terrible. those terms, they don't mean it as as anything like that, but it like it just kind of annoys me because it's like look, I think it's a pretty serious problem. 
right? Because it's it's divisive. We are given this, the, you know, we, we oh, yeah. use this language that's divisive. It stops us from being uh, effective uh, coalitions that work together or one single coalition. It's just uh, the politics of identity, you know, taken to sure. the, the extreme. Where it's like, yeah, you know, I, I identify as a Bernie person. I identify as a Tulsi person. No, no, yeah. this is what you're voting for. This isn't who you are. And yeah, I mean, talk about it like it's who we are, and it makes us divided. I'm with you, man. I mean, yeah, because I, I kind of, I'm just like, look, none of these, Bernie didn't invent any of this stuff, neither did any other politician. I mean, a lot of the policies he's coming for or calling for, uh, a lot of other countries take this stuff for granted, i.e., everybody has health care, you know? So, so, yeah, I've always been sort of not a fan when people throw those types of terms around. It, it just seems a little counterproductive to me. And I, think, I, say, I say feel free to take it seriously, too, because I think it's actually a serious problem. Can I ask real quick for clarification for anybody who might be listening what your position is on universal basic income, since that's a large part of what we uh, are fighting for here on this podcast? Good question. Sure. Um, I am for a universal basic income, uh, especially like right now, I'm for just a straight up emergency UBI, no strings attached. I think we need that. Um and I'm for a UBI in general because, I mean, when you look at the amount that Wall Street takes in and you look at, I mean, you know, we're talking like quadrillions when you add it all up. For us to get a universal basic income, which, by the way, what Wall Street, you know, I mean, all the money they generate, all the revenue they generate with their, you know, gambling, which is essentially what it is, all that can be traced back to a public dollar. You know, it's not like this isn't our money, our being we the yep. people. So giving us a real UBI would be like the equivalent of taking a speck of sand off a coastline. That's like like how little it would actually, quote unquote, cost. So we can do this many times over. Um, where I get particular as far as like my support for UBI is I think that other things need to accompany it. Uh, things like rent control. And uh, I don't think that, you know, sometimes people, they're for UBI, but not for a federal jobs guarantee. I am for both, uh, nor do I think it's unrealistic to say that we can have both. Um, we do have a ton of infrastructure needs in this country. We have uh, climate catastrophe looming. There's no reason why we can't have a basic UBI uh, that, you know, enriches a populace but also have protection so that it doesn't become worthless, i.e. rent control and stuff like that, while simultaneously having a federal jobs guarantee. I think that we can uh, we can have both uh, those things. It's very attainable. 100%, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree 100% too, because it's like, let's say you do have a federal jobs guarantee, but then someone gets that job, but then they, they, they stink at the job or they don't show up on time. Firing them from that job is not a death sentence because of a UBI. Firing mm -hmm. them from that job means like, oh, you can't do this job. Now we don't have a UBI and now you get absolutely nothing. And let's say it's a federal job that they don't even like. Well, at least that UBI is there to like prevent them from, from something bad happening. So I was for a federal jobs guarantee before I heard about the UBI, but I'm like, wait a minute, what if that job sucks or the boss is terrible? Uh, so that's why I said, okay, the UBI is a foundation. And from there we can make that federal jobs guarantee, but it's not like your last resort since you have a UBI. 
I honestly think they work together very well, but independently, um, like EBI, obviously I would say is for me more important, but like when you have them both, you really stop there from being a lot of the abuses that are inherited in the system from people who are able to take advantage of people who can't get a job otherwise, or would have to um, rely on that job. You have bosses who can't abuse you as much because you can always be like, well, this is not my only option. You have um, people who are empowered to uh, really make choices with what they want to do with their lives. And as the uh, labor market shrinks due to automation, we're going to need more choices. If I could okay. comment on the, on the question of can we afford both a UBI and a federal jobs guarantee, I'd like to say that the answer to can we afford X is always yes, because any scarcity in government budget is a manufactured scarcity when you are the world's reserved currency. You print money as needed. We can do what we need to do. And that argument has to stop holding water that we can't. So wanna, only one just, uh, that argument needs to be kicked out of the Overton window. It's unacceptable. Yeah. Well, so I do want to take a contrarian viewpoint on this. Glad you did. And it, it, it's not, it doesn't have to do with whether or not we can afford it. Um, I obviously am a big supporter of the UBI. That's why I'm a part of this group. But the federal jobs guarantee, I think the government is just not good at managing anything, you know, just about every single government program that we have is a disaster, you know, so I got to stop saying, you know, I actually, I tweeted about this, like, last night, I say it all the time, but anyway, I try very hard not to do it. I think the government should be as lean as possible, and I see UBI as part of the solution. Um, we could take power away from the government, put it back directly into our pockets. And I just can't imagine how a federal jobs guarantee would work in an area where there really is no necessary job to be had. You know, every job that exists exists because it ser serves a purpose. But if you have an area where there's nothing that needs to be done, what kind of job are you going to give that person? I mean, are you just going to have them do something pointless, just show up in an office, stare at a wall for eight hours a day doing nothing or pretending that they're doing something just so that they could pat themselves on the back and say, good job, you did your job, go home? I mean, that's, that's the it, just seems like, it just seems like a, a waste of money at that point. And I'd rather just give that person money to stay at home and figure out for themselves what can they do to one, enhance their lives, and two, enhance society. I'd rather just give the people money directly versus pretending to give them some kind of job that isn't really serving a real purpose. I think you raised some very good points, and I would really agree with you, but I, I think the solution is rather than um, we can't have a federal jobs guarantee is what we have is a scaled-back federal jobs guarantee that does not need to be nearly so robust and does not actually need to guarantee a job to everyone after like you know an attempt or something um you know uh if there's nothing to do in your area perhaps the government could help you relocate right i don't know it's true um well the but... argument that that um uh, uh, well i was just i was just going to say that um like yeah the biggest concern is like it's not about getting a job but what job are you going to get? Because not not um, not everyone wants to just settle for like working for the government or just some crappy office job or being in like 
working at UPS or some some other warehouse or whatever. Um, and and again, there are, and also there are those who can't work or do things like you know uh, or are a caregiver, things that don't really get recognized by the marketplace. And UBI recognizes you know uh, recognizes all of them. Um, and with those that don't work, like they still get you know UBI, you know, and and they even they like contribute some way to society. You know, like uh, for instance, you know Jose. Like even though um, she she can't work or whatever, she actually um, what she did was she actually uh, uh, leaked some info on, on things like um, like important information about autism and uh, the LGBTQ community and various stigmas and um, resources or whatever um, to the the French government and community. And what they're doing is, and this is going by what she told me, what they're doing is. In real time, they're actually spreading awareness and letting others know about, um, you know, um, the sort of discrimination and, and stuff for being uh, like like having a severe uh, disability or limitation or or if or if they're if they have a different sexual orientation and stuff, you know, they're they're changing that and and at the same time sending it to other coaches as well. So. You know, Jose did that, and she and and that was definitely I figured that to be a contribution to society. And even though, you know, the the marketplace doesn't recognize that, but you know, but um, UBI going back to the argument of UBI, um, um, it's 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 inevitable, and what you can't really do anything without putting money into people's hands. Now we can get into all the intrinsic details, uh about um how we're going to implement it but right now we just need to get money into the people's hands because we are in a crisis we are in a pandemic afterwards once that is settled now we can get into the meat of it and like okay how how are we going to uh get this passed without you know causing inflation or causing all these other problems and that's where you consult people like scott sands and andrew yang those who looked at the numbers and and did their homework on things like universal basic income, you know, because there's there's one thing about being an advocate for universal basic income, and then there's the other for like you know really putting it into practice and really like you know actually talking to those people who are about UBI, like if you're very serious about it, and and you know and there there are other there are other factors like like we got a uh, we got a, a a terrible GDP. That's why everything's so messed up and and out of order. We gotta wash out the corruption. We gotta, you know, make shorter term limits. We gotta uh, bring like-minded individuals into Congress. You know, those who are, you know, humanity. So, so you know, Izzy, and, Izzy, what, what are your thoughts on the federal I, job guarantee? Should probably get Ron a chance to respond because he hasn't gotten a chance to since uh, yeah. Yeah, we started bringing yes, up thank the you, federal man. jobs guarantee. Ron, please, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. Um, yeah, so. Responding to some of the stuff about a federal jobs guarantee, um, it's not like a, a federal jobs guarantee does not mean like, you know, the government's going to run into your home and force you to work. Like, that's not how it would work. I mean, there's there's a number of different ways it could be implemented, but basically it would be a thing where there's just funds available and there's like, like I'll give a couple different for instances. All right. So I'm, I'm a comedian. I work in show business. Let's say I was writing on a show. And that show ends and, you know, nothing's really being produced right now. You know, maybe there's another pandemic, who knows? And I'm really kind of out of work. If something like a federal jobs guarantee existed, I could go, hey, you know what? 
I'm out of work for a little bit, but I want to do something. I want to get some more income coming in. Uh, I'm going to go make solar panels for a couple months until I get another writing gig. Um, you know, somebody who had seasonal work could do something like that. Um, there would be something like this podcast, for instance, there would be funds available that people would get compensated for the content that they put out into the world, which by the way, you can tie this into something Andrew Yang proposed. My favorite policy from Andrew Yang, um, was his idea for a journalism fund. That was a really, really cool idea that other countries have done. That's something we used to have in the United States before the 20th century. He's the only presidential candidate I've ever seen bring something like that up. And uh, unfortunately, no one talked about it, but, um, but it was really cool. So something like that, tying that to a federal jobs guarantee, there would be resources allocated. So that, so, you know, a podcast like this or a, or a podcast like anything else, or like if people started a newspaper, they could get actual funding in comp and compensation for that thing because they're adding to, you know, democratic dialogue. So that's kind of what a federal jobs guarantee would be set up to do. It's not like you would have this scenario where somebody is forced to work at some job or there's no jobs available, so they make one up. It, it would be, you know, it would be a, a productive program. Jacqueline has um, something she'd like to say real quick too, and she hasn't had a lot of speaking time, so yeah, yeah. I'd like um, to respond to after, so just raise my hand already. Right. <laughs> um, I I just wanted to uh, to add that, uh, and I'm I'm not trying to be a pain in the ass, Ron. Okay, the record. I used to be a Bernie supporter, and I enjoy watching you on the Jimmy Dore show. <laughs> uh, just FYI, but uh, let's talk a little bit about this jobs guarantee, okay? Um, now I'm presuming you're 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 familiar with the fact that it's Stephanie Kelton who put together that jobs guarantee plan, and um, based on that assumption, um, let's talk a little bit. Let's deep dive this. Okay, great. We have this jobs guarantee. What are you going to do for the people who are literally too poor to get a job because they don't have a car, they live in a rural area, and um, they're you know in they're. 50-year-old ladies or 40-year-old ladies, they're not going to be able to do those shovel-ready jobs, okay? So now, there's going to be a logistics issue with how to implement this. And there's also going to be the issue of with any kind of job, there are upfront costs that are inherent with um, getting and keeping any kind of job, even a government-guaranteed one, okay? Uh, a lot of people are not aware of this. You can literally be too poor to just just get a job. Second, um, who gets to decide if or whether or not you're too disabled or your duties as a caregiver um, should count as work? The problem that I have here with this is that ultimately somebody else gets to have literal life or death power over your life. They literally get to say, whether or not you get to live or die, if you have this federal jobs guarantee, but no, no UBI and without recognition of caregiving and stuff as work too. Um, there's been a lot of um, uh, problems with people not acknowledging that aspect and also not acknowledging the fact that, you know, that disabilities are real and not everybody can work outside the home. And just because they can't, that doesn't mean that they're all tech geniuses that they can just go get computer programming jobs off of Upwork either. 
So um, I think what we really need to talk about here is number one, number one, uh, deciding on, you know, are we, are we, what kind of society do we want to have? Do we want to have a society that recognizes that human rights are universal? Okay. And if so, then that means whether or not somebody has a quote unquote traditional or paid job, that they still deserve to be able to live. And the problem I see with the federal jobs guarantee is that you have a bureaucracy that's implemented where somebody still gets to decide, you know, whether or not you're too disabled. We have that problem now without or any kind of social floor in our society at all or safety net at all. And the problem is, is with the means tested programs, specifically SNAP, which by the way, has been utterly useless during the COVID pandemic. Try using a food stamp card when you have no car and you live in a rural area and you have no way, nobody to help you with rides to the nearest supermarket 10 miles clear across the county. Instacart doesn't accept the EBT card, okay? Um, and, you know, you've got the, these problems with the means testing with, and I'll give you another example, SSI, okay? That in order to get a, a, an SSI allotment that's not even enough to live on, you have to not only be destitute, you have to stay destitute, and you have to, you know, get a divorce um, if, you know, you're married and your husband has a thousand dollar a month Social Security retirement, you know, income and you live in a in, in a house that you both own together. OK, and you're disabled, you know, uh, medically disabled from from chronic health issues. You can't get SSI. In fact, I think something somewhere around 76 percent. I'll have to recheck the numbers on this um, of people who are literally too disabled to be able to compete in, in the job market um, are denied SSI, even though they're clearly medically disabled enough. And I'm talking, you know, very severe medical disabilities, you know, that no employer and no group of coworkers is going to accommodate any workplace. So while the federal jobs guarantee um, initially before um, I ran away from the Bernie camp, camp completely and, you know, stopped, you know, supporting him and became a very, very passionate Yang supporter and UBI supporter. One of the things that 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 struck me as uh, pretty, pretty um, impressive when I thought at first that you, oh, great job guarantee. This will solve the job discrimination that women and disabled people, workers over age 40, blah, 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 are up against. However, it still boils down to you have this issue that you're not guaranteed to get a job that you're number one good at number two are able to get to number three have the bare minimum economic level of economic resources and stability to be able to get any kind of a job like transportation is a huge issue in the rural areas right um and you still run up against this this wall of if you are disabled or you have like you know duties like like mia who said in the beginning of the show she's, she's a caregiver okay um you still have to somehow prove your worth or deservingness of being able to survive to some bureaucrat who gets to make a life or death decision over your life. I really have a serious problem with that. Don't we have that problem now, though? I, I mean, don't we have all those all those problems you just described? Don't we yes. already have those? We have those problems now, but the way to fix them is not with, with more means testing uh, programs or bureaucracies or paternalism, because that's what 
what has failed. Let's yeah, go the right way about it. Let's do something that has not failed. Oh. Let's give people a UBI, and it's not charity. I'll tell you what it is. UBI is recompense, number one, for our data, number two, for our access to the natural resources of the earth that most of us don't have access to over centuries and centuries and centuries of governments defining through property rights laws who gets to have access to the natural resources we need to live. UBI is kind of um, a rent payment to everybody as compensation for our loss of access to the commons. And it's fair. It goes to everybody. And that's what makes it fair. And because yeah. it's it's not a um, paternalistic means-tested program, there is no um, nerve-wracking, um, debilitating, and humiliating set of hoops that you have to jump through to prove every month or every six months or however uh, frequently you must do so, that you have to prove to uh, some bureaucracy or bureaucrat uh, that you, quote, deserve to be able to get what you need to survive. Mm. You know, that's yeah. that's that's the issue that I think we really need to have an honest conversation about. But that will require having an honest conversation about the actual levels of how bad poverty is in this country and the fact that disabilities do exist. Not everybody can work outside the home. And also the fact that no society on the planet, I don't care, what society you're talking about? No society would exist without the unpaid labor of women, and specifically mothers. And you know the the fact that that uh, this does not count as work. This was what Newt Gingrich and a lot of the neoliberals um, in in the Clinton wing of the Democratic Party um, pushed through in the late '80s and 1990s to to justify. Um, the Welfare Reform Act, which collapsed the floor underneath the feet of America's poorest, most marginalized and disprivileged women and kids, was this idea that being a mother was doing nothing, that being a caregiver was nothing, and, and that this wasn't work. Now, I, I'm sorry, but I think we really need to have honest conversations about these things. Uh, Ron, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? Um. Not really. I, I mean, those are all valid points. And uh, I mean, I'll reiterate again, I'm for both a UBI and a federal jobs guarantee. So I don't think a federal jobs guaranteed if unrolled, unrolled properly, as well as a UBI unrolled properly would exacerbate any of those problems you mentioned. I, I think it would help to start solving them. Um, you know, I, I do think that disabled people are, are very much neglected in our society right now. That's a huge problem. It's also a huge problem that healthcare is tied to employment. That's another huge problem. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I just I mean, I see what you're saying. Those are all valid points. And to my understanding, the federal jobs guarantee would also uh, compensate homemakers and stuff like that. There wasn't a lot of information on what the federal jobs guarantee was going to actually entail on the sites that had the propositions for it at the time. If more clarification has been made, I would absolutely love to see what those platform adjustments were. But at the time, every time I would look when somebody would bring up, I think that disabled people are covered in that. Not when you look at the actual paperwork they released. There was just kind of um, a skirt to the side mention of disabilities and not really a lot of detail. 
And when you're in the position where you are caring for somebody who's disabled or you are somebody who's disabled, it's really important to you that you do know what those details are for you. But also, I do agree that in tandem, they're probably fine, you know, together, because then you give people the power not to have to rely on the government for their basic necessities. And therefore, they're still choosing to have the uh, job guarantee. That's my opinion. Can I, can I jump in a bit? Like, like that's that's a great point you made. I, I just want to follow up. Um, so it's like, uh, so Ron, like, uh, like um, I believe Jacqueline mentioned this as well um, about um, there are some some people who you know who are who are disabled um, and they but they can't get like approved and stuff. And that actually happened to me. I'm I'm now getting uh, SSI, but I I had I need I needed a rep and. Mind you, as far as like job is con- job is concerned, um, believe it was summer of 2018. Um, I was I, I tried a uh, to tried a local grocery store, uh, I believe called Waltz or whatever um, nearby, and um, in the in the middle of it, like it was it was raining off and on, and for me, like those sorts of things, like really throw me off. And at, at the same time, uh. I was starving and there was barely any food in 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 the house or whatever. Well, none accessible, none really accessible to me, and so I was like scrounging for what I could find. But I was in the middle of the job, and it got so bad. And like I was, and I was like really, really putting a lot, a lot of a lot of work and stuff. Um, it got so bad that I actually had a major panic panic attack. I I couldn't focus on anything. And the moment I had my the moment my lunch break came in, like I, I, I quit on the first day. That's how, that's how bad it got. But, um, because like my disability wasn't so apparent, people were like, well, you quit your job, you know? And it's like, you know, you're, you're at the age where you should be, you know, and you should be doing this and that. Um, even though like I not only, um, I'm on the autistic spectrum with, uh, boss, I have like, um, um, various other dis, dis, underlying disabilities that really um that really affect how I work and and also deal with like the the environment and people that I'm around um but the people they the a lot of people they didn't see that all they saw was you know I was in my 20s and you know and I was uh, a black male whatever and living with parents and I was unemployed and so I should be able to do this that's that was the narrative um and um and yes yeah, like uh uh I you know, like even even if I was just given a job or whatever, it's like they'll they'll probably just let me go anyways because, you know, because I wouldn't last I wouldn't last uh an hour without like either collapsing or just getting like just such a mess, you know. And even though like I put in a lot of effort doing what I can, is like is that that's just how I how I am now. So and but you know but because i didn't i didn't look because i didn't look like i was disabled people got all frustrated with me so yeah like that's why i want to mention like there are people who are who have severe disabilities but don't look look that ways and then yeah but okay go ahead zach had wanted to say something a little bit earlier yeah um so i'm gonna try to address address basically what Izzy and Jacqueline were both saying, but also something that Ron said that caught my attention before. Um, you know, I, I think that the main issue is decoupling economic value with human value, you know? And if you have to work to survive the way things are right now, 
right? Those two things are are intertwined when they really shouldn't be. You know, like I support universal basic income. Um, I think most federal and state level programs should be gutted and rolled into UBI, except Social Security and SSDI, right? People who have barriers to entering the workforce for whatever reason, they should get a larger universal basic income so that they could survive. Um, what Ron said that caught my attention and I wanted to comment on before was the federal jobs guarantee, putting people to work to make solar panels. I mean, you could still get a job making solar panels right now if you want to do that in the private sector. You know, certain things are just much better done by the private sector. If the government intervenes and starts competing against private companies, a lot of these companies aren't going to be able to compete against the government and they're going to end up shutting down. And, you know, like we do have a climate crisis. We have to solve it. And that's going to take the private sector and the government working together, not competing against each other. Considering, considering the private sector is mostly focused on oil and gas, I, I would argue that what you're saying is not accurate. We, we well, actually do need some significant intervention because the private sector uh, has been concerned with oil and gas, has been concerned with uh, drill, baby, drill, and business as usual because they're only concerned with padding their pockets. They don't give a hoot about this climate. So, um, you know, what you're saying that, oh, the, the government would drive them out. Uh, when it comes to climate catastrophe, that's not a bad thing. In fact, I embrace that. Well, the largest investor in wind and solar, actually, I believe, is ExxonMobil. You know, that's only because sector. that's because of, that's because of the setup of Wall Street. That's because yeah. of the setup of Wall Street, because they drive the resources in this country. That's how it's set up uh, under a federal jobs guarantee. Stuff like that would start to change. And, you know, to your credit, I mean, I'll, I'll say this in response, though. There are some people like uh, I believe, was it that guy at like Blackstone or, or something like that who said that he's not interested in investing in oil and gas anymore? And hey, that's a good thing. Hopefully he's sincere. Hopefully that's come comes through. But as far as like addressing climate catastrophe, I think to just put your faith in the private sector it is just straight up delusional. It's not going to happen. Well, it's what? not complete faith. I do think that we do need some regulations. I think the government needs to incentivize incentivize the private sector to make more investments in renewable energies as opposed to giving more permits to drill more oil wells. You know, so there certainly is a role for government to move the needle in the right direction. I just don't think directly employing people to make solar panels is the right way to go about it. I don't I think the government that. should be manufacturing. I would I like to uh, maybe offer a small counter argument in that uh, having the government producing a version of a product would create a floor for how much people who uh, are in that industry have to compensate other people in order to be able to justify their existence. So um, the government can definitely pay you blank number of dollars per hour for this job. If the private industry can't sustain paying a living wage and the government can, maybe your, maybe your business doesn't deserve to survive. Right. Why? Yeah. Why do businesses feel like they are just given the right to survive, but people no, not them. Well, that is a major problem and that's not capitalism. That's not the, yes, it is right. No, that's, that's socialism for big business. We don't have a capitalistic society right now. You know, right now, if if we were a free market uh, country, 
all the airlines would have just went out of business when uh, when this coronavirus hit. Instead, government comes in, bails out big business. They bailed out the financial sector during the 08 crash. That's not a free market, you know? I mean, yeah, I think the issue you, you touched on is that the free yeah. market cannot exist within capitalism. Capitalism is an inherently perverting force. It, it, it can't have a real market, <laughs> can't create or sustain one. These are such complicated issues. I really love that we get into like the weird nitty gritty of the things that, uh, you know, like right. there's a lot of stuff well, that well, really it's, it's, like it's, taglines, but when you get into we, the details, there's a lot of gray area. Right. That a lot of well, well here, this, this country, we have the worst of both worlds. We oh, have socialism yeah. for the rich and well-connected, and we have rugged individualism for everyone else. That's yeah. what happens when you privatize profits and you socialize losses. If you had a stupid drunk uncle who like went gambling in Vegas and he won a shit ton of money, and then he said, oh, but I'm not giving you any. But then he loses a shit ton of money and says, like, you have to compensate me for that. You have to, you, you have to give, give me any goes and breaks your piggy bank. That's what we have. <laughs> yeah, um, I think Errol summed it up pretty well. And, and I would go to say, this is what neoliberalism is. It is the socialization of misery and suffering and hardship and rugged individualism um, and the, the privatization of, uh, of, of obscene profits. Now, um, it's not that profits are a bad thing. It's not that collective responsibility is a bad thing. What makes things a bad thing is when you have a situation of who is watching the watchers, when you have a lack of accountability to the people, the public, you know, and when I mean by a lack of accountability, I mean by situations like with what just happened with the, with the, the COVID relief that went out. It has still not been, we, we have people in this country that have already died because they were unable, they had no incomes, they're without transportation, and they were unable to use their food stamps to go get food. Many of them, you know, ended up, you know, a lot of it, I wouldn't be surprised if they, these were diabetic-related deaths, okay? Um, this is an issue that I happen to be very focused on as, as somebody who is diabetic and lives in a rural area. Um, and yet, it, it's like we're, we're talking about no accountability, and it's this, you know, the the fact that this kind of oversight, this kind of negligence uh, was allowed to just go on. And somebody telling me, oh, yes, well, the, the, the government's working on hashing it out now. Well, that's nice. Four months into the end of the end of the pandemic. You know, this is why I think um, I, I tend to lean more with what Zach, you know, had had to say about making sure we have a social floor and that it's streamlined. And we don't have these paternalistic bureaucracies that, excuse my French, would fuck up a wet dream. Well, yeah. Just to put yeah. a bullet on what I was saying. Um, and, uh, you know, in response to both Jacqueline and Zach, Ron, when ownership does not participate directly in production of the good or service to be marketed, a productive incentive structure cannot be achieved by the market. That's my hypothesis. That's what I want to put forth in response to, to, to that. Well, and I got to say something that's incredibly important here. Uh, you know, wet dreams do get fucked up all the time. They're called <laughs> alarms. I'll take your word for it. I don't have the right uh, junk or business equipment or whatever to uh, comment on that personally. 
I just I just got to keep it focused on the important things here. <laughs> Jeremy, you had mentioned you had a few questions for our guest, and we are kind of running low on the amount of time he said he had. Would you like to get a couple of those out there before uh, he has to go? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so, uh, Ron, definitely, you've been in the kind of in the, in the forefront of the of the push for the of the new media, as it understood. Um, I'm just if you, if you could briefly describe what new media means to you and exactly what are the some of the issues that are inherent with the current uh, establishment legacy media. Uh, OK, well, I guess new media means to me like like just kind of Internet driven media. You know, I mean, online video podcasts, um, streaming and, um, you know, short messages via Instagram and, and TikTok, which uh, I actually just got on that recently. I don't really know how to use it, but uh, but I am there. Um, and, you know, some of the issues that I'm a really big proponent of is uh, net neutrality and uh, municipal broadband. And uh, net neutrality is the law that all traffic on the internet needs to be treated equal. You can't throttle, you can't have paid prioritization um, and this doesn't allow companies like Comcast and AT&T and Verizon to, uh, you know, prioritize some services online over others based on their ability to pay. Um, you know, a basic, for instance, would be a podcast like this wouldn't load very fast, but CNN loads as fast as can be or Fox News loads as, as fast as can be. Um, net neutrality is the policy that doesn't allow all that. We've had assumed net neutrality since the advent of the Internet. The cable companies took it to court in 2014. They won. But what the uh, what the Obama administration, FCC, did and uh, keep in mind, I, I will say this. They didn't do it because they wanted to do it. They did it because the public was screaming at them and basically forced them to do it is they got net neutrality on the books by designating the Internet a, a Title II classification which means it's a utility in our life, which guess what? It is a utility in our lives. It deserves that classification. That's the right classification for it. Uh, the Trump FCC has since repealed this. So now we're kind of fighting it out in the courts. States are trying to pass their own net neutrality bills. And uh, like here where I live in California, we do have a net neutrality bill that passed in, I believe, last year. And uh, which brings me to the next point, which is municipal broadband. What that is, for anyone that might not be familiar with that term, that basically means just city-owned Internet. And there's municipal broadband in, in different parts of the United States. What that does is it ends the net neutrality battle once and for all because net neutrality is kind of written into the charters and the, and the city kind of owns it. And, you know, the way I like to put it in, in its most basic way whether you are the poorest resident or you're the mayor, you want your porn to load as fast as can be. So you're going to get good Internet. And um, there was a study out of Harvard in conjunction with the Institute of Local Self-Reliance that uh, everywhere throughout the country, wherever there is municipal broadband, it is better and cheaper than what big cable is offering. Because when you, uh, when you trace it back to when we first started doing Internet in the United States, what the cable companies did was they formed an organized duopoly where they would kind of just cut up their territories and and um, not infringe on each other's territory. And then they would just kind of price gouge consumers as much as they could. Um, when they don't build in certain areas, it's because they feel like they can't make enough money there. 
as a result, we pay more for internet than a lot of other countries, and uh, we get shittier service. Municipal broadband has kind of leveled that playing field a lot because, you know, the cities are doing it themselves and they're building better quality internet at a better price. So uh, I think that needs to happen nationwide. I'm a big proponent for it. And, uh, you know, it's just one of the issues I try to cover as much as I can to kind of, you know, make more people aware of what it is and what it does. And, and this is one of those things, you know, I mean, we're talking, you know, we've talked about a lot of issues and you can kind of uh, take them from both angles. And this is one of those things where, you know, across the political spectrum, people are in support of this stuff, people on the right, people on the left and everything in between, because this is all about, um, you know, preserving the Internet as we know it. And this is all about, you know, I mean, if, if you want to talk about a free market, well, how is it a free market if it's an organized duopoly where big cable gets to dictate what type of Internet access people have? You know, why can't we build our own infrastructure? That's what a free market would allow. Um, so, you know, and it's also, you know, it's also kind of uh, a lot of lefties like it, too, because like, you know, your, your city's getting involved. So so that's something I'm a very big proponent of. And, and I think it's very necessary. I mean, people make it out like we can't lose the Internet, so to speak. But we totally can. I, I mean, if, if we were all having a conversation in 1995, none of us would have thought that radio would ever become what it became. But it did, largely because of the Telecommunications Act of 1996 that completely homogenized radio. And, you know, once you lose a medium, you lose it for good. So the same thing that has happened with television, with radio, can totally happen with the Internet, where we could be telling our children and grandchildren that you used to be able to start your own podcast, and that's not possible anymore because it won't load at all. So, do you think that like the the, uh, the death of a of a I mean, I guess you say just a blanket statement like the, the 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 death of television? Do you think that's inevitable at this point? Um, you know, I don't know, man. It's it's tough to project because television. I think as far as the medium is concerned, I mean, we could get to the point where most people are just kind of on their computer screens. But I mean, there's still like, I think we're shifting into the world of content. So while it might not be like television in the literal sense, as far as like the actual like mediums concerned, I think like as far as like big production companies and different outlets and stuff like that, I, I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. And we're already seeing, you know, adaptation, like with stuff like HBO Max or Disney Plus or, you know, Hulu, Netflix, obviously. I, I think we're going to be entering a realm where it's just sort of like we all have a bunch of random subscriptions and they're all going to kind of bundle. So I think as far as like the anatomy of how television works, I, I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. As far as like how often will we be watching it on a television? Um, that I don't know. Probably probably a while longer because people just prefer it and um i think that cable packages quote unquote are going to evolve a lot over the next five to ten years but i don't think they're going to go away entirely so you're like expecting a format jump but not necessarily like a um a media jump like they're still going to produce the same way in television most likely just move it online as opposed to yeah i i think yeah that's a pretty good yeah, that's a pretty good summary. Yeah, I would say that's how I feel. Um, I've got a question for Ron. Um, uh, I definitely agree that uh, the internet should be considered a public utility. Um, people are also arguing that 
Twitter and YouTube and Google, these should also be considered public utilities. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? I agree with those people. I, I think that, and again, I, I understand it. it's a kind of, um, you know, it's a very kind of touchy thing. But I think that when you get to the point of a Facebook or a Twitter uh, or a Google where you are really the E-Town Square, um, you know, it, it should be considered a public utility because right now we are faced with a pretty unprecedented thing where these big tech companies have power that they just have no qualification to have. Uh, a Silicon Valley tech person shouldn't be deciding what is and isn't free speech. They just have no qualifications to do that. It, it just makes zero sense. Uh, yet they're put in these positions where Twitter will you know, shadow ban people and they will do, you know, they'll take stuff down. So I, I think you need intervention where they need to follow the free speech laws of the United States and they need to be made into utilities. And maybe should be run by a sociologist instead of by tech geeks? Yeah, or just have, I mean, hey, have like constitutional lawyers, you know, like, like look into these issues the same way that you do in the real town square. You know, I, I mean, it's just like, you know, we have freedom of speech in this country and we have free speech laws that I think are pretty good. Are they perfect? Of course not. There is no, you know, perfect thing, but I think they're pretty darn good. And I think that, you know, if we applied those laws to the E-Town Square, which is social media, we'd be a lot better off than we are now. 100%. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hey, Ron, I, got, that's right. I got a. I also got a question for Ron. It's, it's and it's a quick one. Uh, you mentioned briefly that you believe capitalism is at fault for all things that have occurred, you know, in this society or whatever. What 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 makes you so adamant about that? Do you believe like capitalism is all to blame, or is there like other you know factors involved, or is well, there's there's certainly other factors. I, you can't put it on one thing. And and what a lot of other people here have said, and I agree with, is um, you know, there's that old quote. It, it's uh, it's socialism for the rich. It's you know, rugged individualism and capitalism for everyone else. You know, the reason we have the discrepancy in wages is because of capitalism. It's because we have a system where profit is favored above all else. And again, we can get back to Wall Street here. The way Wall Street works is that, you know, everything is a portfolio of assets. And the only thing that matters is that bottom line. And in that portfolio of assets, they want the next billion dollar idea. They don't want the next somewhat good idea. They don't want the next idea that's going to employ a lot of people and work well. They want the billion dollar idea. They'd rather go billion or bust because it makes their portfolio better. Um, so they invest in all these things and then bet on all these things. And the bottom line is favored above all else. Who does that leave out? Well, that leaves out you, the worker, uh, we, the people, that's who it leaves out. That's what capitalism is set up to do. That's what it has done every time it's ever been tried. Um, it is set up to inevitably put all of the power in the hands of an elite few and leave everybody else out to dry. That, that's literally what it's meant to do. When you look into different forms of, of socialism, different forms of anarchy, you know, there's all these kind of particulars where like a lot of different principles and systems could work very well in a society. Capitalism, on the other hand, 
is always just set up to do the exact same thing. And whenever people are asking, well, is there a way we can do this ethically? The answer is no. Exactly. I mean, we exactly. we keep trying it and trying it. It does the exact same thing. And here's the problem. We're taught, and, and when I say we, I mean, I mean like in the contemporary United States, we're taught to attribute all of these factors to capitalism when in fact they have nothing to do with capitalism. We're just taught that they do. So we entertain this fantasy that capitalism isn't an absolutely horrific idea. Uh, one example is markets. We're taught that markets can only exist within capitalism. That's not true at all. And, you know, we've been talking about a lot of issues today, and, and we certainly have some disagreements on the particulars that are worth discuss discussing. These are discussions worth having. But I think we can all agree that you can still have a social safety net, that you can still have a society that looks out for people first and still have a market of goods and services. The idea that that wouldn't exist without capitalism is absolutely insane. It makes zero sense. We're human beings. We have a natural urge to want to put something out in the world. And if we lived in a not capitalistic society, we would still have people that would want to start restaurants because they have this food that they're proud of that they want to share with the world. We would still have people that would want to invent things, that would want to innovate, that would want to be creative. All of that stuff would still happen. So, you know, right. and... Yeah, I think you just hit the nail on the head, Ron. Uh, I, I just want to put this out there. Like, I lost my job due to capitalism. I worked in an electronics store, and I loved, you know, working with the customers and working with the technology. But uh, but since it was a seasonal gig, he just said, oh, the, he, he literally told me there aren't enough cars on the freeway to, like, justify the amount we're paying you to work here. But you've been great, and we love you, and you can come back next season. But, like, bye. It's like I still wanted to keep that job, but capitalism told me that it didn't want me to work. So there you go. That's not, uh, Ariel, that's not capitalism, though. That is big government making – if we didn't have a minimum wage, you wouldn't have lost your job, you know? I mean, oh, come the problem on, with, dude. The problem with – Something like a minimum wage, which I agree, we cannot just get rid of minimum wage without also having a universal basic income. Right? Yeah, you definitely need but if you, that. Right. If you look at how the way things are going right now with a lot of jobs being automated and whatnot, we're going to get to a point where if we all of a sudden move minimum wage up to $15 an hour across the country, there's going to be a lot of jobs out there where that employee is not – making $15 an hour worth of value for the company. And therefore the job doesn't justify itself. Whereas uh, yeah. if they could uh, instead pay nine that's... or $10 an hour. And I would like to say one thing real quick. Um, I would like to point out that uh, some of this discussion does cross over very well with um, how Andrew Yang wanted to redirect the GDP away from just profits. So if we were measuring um, what our, capitalism is producing and how it benefited people as opposed to how it benefited the growth of war capital then we could redirect how society is taught to view work. yeah exactly the also other thing like I wanted to mention too i wanted to yeah. interject here for a moment is that um it, it's not that capitalism caused ariel to lose his job it's not capitalism that caused that problem here's what caused the problem 
It's not that we don't have a safety net. It's just that safety nets have been subject to attack after attack after attack for the last 45 years, if not more. And they were never, ever adequate. They were dehumanizing and degrading to try to get help from, if you could get any help at all. I would really strongly suggest, Ron, you check out the book Tyranny of Kindness by Teresa Funicello, okay? And Scott Santons reads uh, chapters out of that, and he puts that out for free on his on his uh, podcast through Anchor. So I'd really strongly suggest, Ron, uh, that if you haven't gotten a chance to either listen to that book in audio form or or pick up a, a copy off the of Kindle on Amazon, that you, that you do so. It's an eye-opener. Um, it would be an eye-opener for you, I think. But the, the, what I see is the problem is that we don't have a social floor. It's not that capitalism's the problem. It's that capitalism starting at zero is the problem. Where yeah. we, you know, where you can't even play a game of Monopoly starting out at zero. I mean, everybody starts out in a game of Monopoly with, you know, basic amount of money, right? And when at you, least six hundred. Yeah. Yeah, and you pass go and you collect two hundred dollars from pass and go as you go around the board. You 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 throw the dice and you take your turn and go around the board. The problem is, is that we don't have a social floor. And I'd like to make this distinction because the difference between the safety nets and a social floor is a social floor is a level at which we agree as a society that no one, that, that this floor is a level through which no one can fall. No matter what happens to them, no matter how shitty their luck is in life, that, you know, no one can fall through this floor. However, unlike the safe, the, the so-called safety net programs, which I'm, I'm going to speak quite frankly, as somebody who is poor and who is disabled, are freaking garbage, okay? Straight up. You are penalized if you try to improve your life. You are economically penalized and you have whatever assistance you might qualify for ripped away from you if you can even get it at all. With a social floor like UBI, okay, you're not penalized if you're able to carve out a niche for yourself, whether it's working for yourself or let's say, you know, Zach wants to hire me part-time to go over his books for him or something like that. Just FYI, I'm just pulling stuff out of my hat here. You know, there's no penalty. There's no, there's no smackdown that I'm going to get for doing that or anybody else. And I think that's the important distinction here that we need to look at is that we need to look at, you know, having a, a system that ultimately works for everybody. And that means that, there's a baseline to which we don't allow we don't allow poverty to exist by establishing that floor but we don't punish people you know um by you know who manage to to you know improve their lives and succeed beyond that um by you know taking or ripping away that that ubi away from them you know uh, ron has said that uh, he does support a ubi in yeah. and of itself. Like not a BI either. Like a BI would just be like not a universal. And I'm I'm sure he's aware yeah. of well, that. Well, I mean a lot of I've seen a lot of people say UBI and they say, but only people below forty thousand dollars a year should get it. And it's like, oh wait a minute, uh, that's BI. That's not yeah. a UBI, that's a BI. Yeah, Ron's pretty different. well informed. So I think he does I think he is you are aware of the difference between a UBI and a BI, I'm sure. Yes. Good. So yes. I'm at so I have a hypothetical scenario I just want to throw out there that I think will kind of better illustrate why I don't think minimum wage is necessarily even a good thing to have. Imagine a situation where you have 
a high school kid who has one arm and he wants to learn carpentry. It's just something that he really wants to do, right? And he's going around asking, uh, trying to find an, uh, an internship or an, an apprenticeship to become a carpenter. Maybe he has universal basic income too, something to fall back on, okay? Bear with me. Um, it's gonna be, he's gonna have a very hard time finding a carpenter willing to take on that student at $15 an hour when he could also, when he could instead just hire somebody else with two arms who's better able to do the tasks uh, of carpentry. Or that's a robot. Really need, yeah, or, or a robot or something. But I mean, carpentry, electrical work, plumbing, I don't really see those jobs being replaced by technology um, anytime either. soon. But the point is, maybe that kid with the one arm can do the task, but it's going to take twice as long to do just about everything. You're you're you know? conflating you're conflating apprenticeships with living wages, though. Those are two completely different things. I mean, uh, that's usually, to my knowledge, at least, I, I have like one friend who's a carpenter. That's kind of how that works. Like you get an apprenticeship and you apprentice, you learn the craft, and then you are a carpenter. Um, but you I have to get have paid. You're usually paid while you're an apprentice too. And in this so case, maybe a government. But it's viewed in. It's viewed entirely differently. It's treated entirely differently. And, and in a lot of cases, I mean, you mentioned internships. In a lot of cases, internships are completely unpaid. Um, you know, I, I have nothing against apprenticeship programs, nor do I think living wages contradict that. What happens is after that apprenticeship is over and you are a carpenter, you are making a living wage. Um, you know, and to respond to some of the stuff you said before about living wages, you know, first of all, if, if wages kept up with inflation, the minimum wage right now would be at about 20, I, I believe about $22 an hour. If it kept up, um, it hasn't. And that's a huge problem. And there's no reason why anyone who works an honest job for 40 hours a week shouldn't make enough money to live. There's absolutely no reason for it in the contemporary United States. And, and if you want to say like, oh, well, it cuts into the profits of a company. Okay, well then uh, let's start seeing where we can cut corners. Here, CEOs make about 475 times to one that of the average worker. That is unheard of in most other societies, completely unheard of. So we can start there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think living wages, that's just a, a guarantee. I think we should have straight up worker co-ops all over the place. Yes. which would, you know, eliminate all those problems completely. But, you know, I think living wages are infinitely necessary and, and should be guaranteed. I so got a, I, I got a better... Should only workers be guaranteed to be able to live? Or should we say maybe nobody deserves to be poor? I, I agree. Nobody deserves to be poor. I'm just saying if you're working a job for 40 hours a week, an honest job, you should make enough money to live. It's ridiculous that in the richest country in the world... There's people that have to work two and three jobs to survive. Well, I do. Yeah, I do uh, feel like. What are you gonna say? I'll be. I'll be quick, Izzy. Promise. Um, again, what I was saying before, I just really think we need to decouple um, income that we get from work and income intrinsic value. Right? Market value and intrinsic value. I think really needs to be decoupled. Um, <laughs> so yeah, nobody deserves to be poor. We can address that with the universal basic income, um, but at the same time, somebody who with one arm who's, who's handicapped, who wants to get into a certain field, who has to compete against able-bodied people, uh, they should have the freedom to negotiate whatever 
wage they can that would make that would open that door for them to enter that field if that I, makes I would sense like to throw in just a really quick thing i don't care if you are actually literally a lazy piece of shit i still don't think you deserve to die on the streets that's that's right just just, just a quick note yeah yeah and that's that's the the problem that i've sort of had with a lot of the worker rhetoric um it, it comes across as as a form of classism that ariel i think uh, previously, you know, uh, came up with an, an excellent word to describe it, workism or jobism, that, yeah. you know, all this focus on working people and, you know, the, the, this excluding rhetoric that I've heard, it's rather off-putting because that's implying that um, people who are disabled, people who are old, people who are literally too poor to be able to get a job but are otherwise able-bodied to get one, but they don't have the basic resources they need to facilitate that, it's saying that the, all these people, entire swaths of the population, don't deserve to be able to survive, don't deserve to live, and they deserve to be poor. That only the workers, you know, deserve. Also, you have people just saying like, oh, just get a job, you know, it'll solve everything. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> uh, that is the stupidest thing on the face of the world. Yeah. I really, have a, I really have a problem with that. I have, a, I have a problem with that because, you know, Errol probably would still have his job if we had a UBI because other people who maybe couldn't get jobs or who got pushed out of the economy, you know, um, due to automation and age discrimination, which is something we never yeah. really have any discussion uh, about, well, would have been able to go into the store where well, he worked and buy well, stuff. Well, here's, here's the good news that, that, that like that. No, I'm happy that I, on hindsight, that I lost it because I made more money on the extended unemployment in three weeks than in four months of having that job. So yeah, now the unemployment's running out. So yeah, what are you going to yeah. do next? It, 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 we're going to see what happens. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Let's see uh, what happens. Hey, Ron, I just want to check in with you real quick. Uh, how are you on time? Uh, I can go to five 30. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me just follow up on like back to like the c- capitalism thing. It, it's it's going to be brief, but uh, I feel like, um, yeah. Uh, what Andrew Yang was trying to do is like, he, he, like he grew up, you know him and his parents on you know um a system where how capital is supposed to be where you do get the games where um you know just like the game game of monopoly um and um but for some reason um as the years progressed like corruption seeped in and things went out of whack and we and instead the uh the powers that be and the wealthy they started um you know, taking all the profit, you know, and, and making profit off of our hard work, our blood, sweat, and tears and stuff. So what I think what needs to be done is, I mean, well, first, I believe, like, once, like, what Mia was mentioning about changing the mechanism of the GDP, I feel like once we update that, um, and it, and it, and it is barely requires a little to no effort just to just to fix it, you know, he, like Andrew Yang said, just walk down, down the street to Bureau of Economics and say, hey, we got to fix this GDP. And I feel like once you do that first, that will, you will see a definite change. Then comes, you know, the, the UBI and stuff and increasing the, the minimum wage will just, it, it will increase on its own. Um, you'll see prices go down. You'll see the inflation start to go down. You'll see, you'll see a, a completely different, um, just, uh, 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 society or whatever i mean that's i mean that's that's i believe that was what yang was planning on i mean we 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 never really um he lived the american dream man but we never really experienced it that's that's just like a uh 
<laughs> that's just like a like a like a uh you know a pipe dream from us and you know but i mean i, I feel like uh it will be unreal once we've once we've uh you know experience that and you know I, I feel like we will like if we can fix the gdp and we get um like-minded individuals into congress and we start um putting money into people's hands you know like jacqueline was mentioning create that that uh that uh social social flooring or whatever because it is necessary if you know if things go south and things don't go as planned and um you just need something to fall back on you can't just you know um just fall right through cracks, you know, especially like if you have bills to pay and, and all this other stuff. So it, it's like, I, I feel like that's, that's, that is definitely like the step one or two, like just fixing the GDP and all our, all the questions will be answered. Um, things will start moving to the, the right direction. I mean, maybe that is too optimistic, but I feel like that will, that is a necessary, necessary step along with, you know, you know, giving giving people money, universe basic income. Because mind you, um, you know, um, what uh, the first thing we got, you know, during this during this pandemic was a form of, you know, of financial uh uh, uh re- relief or you know UBI. I mean, even though it's not UBI or BI, it's just a BS solution, <laughs> and it's just given. It's just you know they gave us just scraps or whatever, but it's still. We did get like a we money was put into several people's hands, you know, and um, there are people who are saying like we need more. They're requesting, you know, we need more money. We need a uh, we need something monthly and reoccurring. So it's like yes, yeah, uh, uh, this it's it, it's a uh, it's a it's uh, it's inevitable. It's a necessary step. Um, but yeah, like once we once we get money to people's hands and we fix the GDP. It, and all these all these other things like then we'll we'll begin to uh get what we were asked for and then they'll they'll we can bring in you know uh you know medicare for all or um i mean i'm still i'm still a bit you know uncertain about the 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 uh the i don't even think like the federal jobs guarantee might might not even be needed because jobs will be created just just by you know fixing the systems and stuff and and bringing money into our economy and stuff like that, that it will it will it will uh it will heal its on its own it's like you know it's like the earth like even even though it's like it's it's a mess whatever it's like it, it will heal on its own you know same for our economy so all we gotta do is just you know make several adjust make a few adjustments and stuff and then boom you'll see uh something you know something different okay <laughs> that's all i gotta say but yeah. i uh, i want to investigate thank you is there I want to investigate the uh, the claim uh, that Zach made that Ariel would still have that electronic store job were it not for that gosh darn minimum minimum wage just that minimum wage kept his well, job from him. Uh, before we go any further, yeah. we are in time for uh, for Ron. So if, if Ron would like to stick around, more than welcome to. But if you do, got to sign off. But buddy, totally understand. Yeah, I got to sign off. But um, thank you all for having me. Thank you so much and... for coming. It's been an honor and pleasure. You've been a fantastic guest. Yeah. Could you okay. let us know where yeah, to see that? Yeah, that was great. I'm going to go check out your comedy now. Yeah, sure. Well, unfortunately, you can't see me anywhere live right now because the pandemic <laughs> is breaking right. my heart and then I can't tour. But uh, you can still catch me online. And uh, my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Ron Flacone. 
I drop videos there. I live stream there. Um, I do a show called Get Your News On with Ron. That's most weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Uh, taking a little break from the stream now, but I'll be getting back to it at the end of the month. Uh, I am on Twitter at Ron Placone, and my website is ronplacone.com, and that's where you can find all kinds of Ron Placone things, including the comic that I do with my cat, Lucy. Thank you so much for coming. I really, I, I enjoyed you um, on during the 2016 elections. I got to see a bit of you, and I really, uh, really appreciated that you were coming on to our show today. I, Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. I think it's cool to get to finally meet you because all the episodes of Jimmy Dore that I watched. Yeah, you I think I think I've seen you on his live shows. Like your voice sounds very familiar. It's like it was probably me. Panel and stuff. Are you the guy? Are you the guy with the glasses? Like I I do wear glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm I'm the ginger with the glasses. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> guys thanks for having me it was awesome thank you again to you. so much this was a really really fun conversation and uh i'll come back anytime you also oh, do a great you, Sanders Sanders. Yay! <laughs> Peace. Uh, great Bernie sanders great love you so much we'll stay, stay cool and be safe stay safe Bye. stay cool and be safe Bye. Bye now. <laughs> that was great what a fantastic email me guest. that book i want to read it what a fantastic uh, guest tyranny of kindness tyranny yeah. of kindness by Teresa funicello all right, I'm, I'm going to read it. I'll let you know um, what I think. And also, also, finish my, uh, my also read, read, uh, also read the World Normal People by Andrew Yang. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. I'll look into it. Awesome. All right. Thanks, y'all. Thank you so Thanks, much. Ron. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Ron. Take care, Ron. So just please finish what I was saying. So I just want to address before we move on too far, minimum wage and the claim that were it not for minimum wage, Ariel would still have his seasonal electronics store job. Two questions. Um, one, what's to stop the owners from firing Ariel just to maximize their profits, even without a minimum wage? And two, what's to ensure the store would have enough, uh, would, would, would have paid Ariel enough to have had a positive, worthwhile experience working there to begin with, without a minimum wage? So, so number one, um, <clears throat> repeat, I'm sorry, repeat the first, the first one. What's to stop the store owners from firing yeah. Ariel to maximize profits even without a minimum wage? Okay, so it, a, a job is supposed to do a task, right? And, you know, there comes a point where you can't just get rid of every single job because you need employees to perform those tasks. Otherwise, the business, the operations of the business just cease and nothing gets done, right? You need employees. So... Maybe that particular task, because of the season or because of the coronavirus, maybe there are less people coming into a store, right? Maybe that job, the, the tasks that that job is doing is no longer generating at least $15 an hour of value to the company. Um, maybe it's generating 8 or $9, you know? Of course, you may not want to work for 8 or $9, but there would at least be uh, some negotiating power on the on behalf of both parties if there was no minimum wage. You know, maybe Ariel would say, "Hey, you know, if the boss says, hey, I can't pay you fifteen dollars an hour anymore. Work has slowed. I could keep you on at eleven dollars an hour." Maybe Ariel says, "I don't want to work for eleven dollars an hour. Screw it. I'll get a job somewhere else." You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily result in, you know, some, you know, uh, uh, 
great scenario where both parties win, but it may be better than losing the job altogether. So yeah. a little follow-up before you move on to my second yeah. initial question. What if the job is generating 65 cents an hour for the company? Are you okay with someone coming in there making 45 cents an hour? Well, at that point, I don't think the job would even exist. You know, I think it would be so low that I just don't think it would really what if it exist. Did, though, and, and the person working it said, hey, man, I need the 350 a day that I rake in. It, just, it makes the difference. I can afford ramen this week, you know? I mean, if they're willing to work for that much, then sure. Right. I mean, I think that's cool. I think that's kind of Free silly. I don't capitalism. see right. Yeah. I don't see why somebody would take a job making only that much um, when they're going to be able to find another one that's paying way more than that, you know. But I, I do. I again, I just want to add on to this. This would be with a universal basic income. Okay. You know, I think universal basic income makes minimum wage less necessary. And I do think that minimum wage, the people it ends up hurting are often uh, the lowest skilled people with, with the smallest Not, not, yeah, not yeah, just yeah, the lowest yeah, skilled no. people, but also the people that tend to be the most marginalized who are the most yes. traditionally excluded. We're talking disabled people. Yes. Yeah, well, I think like there's one marginalized group that gets screwed over in this, and that is people who immigrate here without legal status. Yes. Not yes. Immigrants, of age, the disabled, people, the young. Anybody who does mm -hmm. is not guaranteed, um, you know, the universal basic income is going to have the same problem that they have now in the sense mm -hmm. that uh, if they travel here, the corporations are still going to take advantage of them and are still going to underpay them yeah, well, because they know they can't. Right. So um, <laughs> if you have um, granted anybody who was not a legal resident, but just considered a resident of the United States, the UBI, you would still fix that problem. But. Human abuse comes from anyone that you can find to marginalize, to isolate, and to take advantage of. So you do have to um, be careful of that when you're talking about marginalized groups that would be uh, spared from it because of the UBI. Yeah, now, I think it's also yes, what, that's, that's true. I, I, I go ahead, but I do want to follow up after you finish. I was just going to say, if you extend the UBI out to people who aren't just American citizens, you do solve that problem. Yeah, 100%. I, I think with, with UBI, um, it, it leaves a door open to a lot of different possibilities. Whether we maintain a minimum wage, whether we roll it back, uh, we can approach it in a, in a lot of different ways. Uh, I think ultimately it would uh, lead to a reduction in minimum wage, and you would have uh, what's known as a you know the fair market value for people's labor. Yeah. But I think I think what's dangerous about just just raising the minimum wage to like fifteen or twenty bucks an hour is that there are so many loopholes around that that are already happening now. And they're called 1099 workers. Yep. So if you're a contract 1099, workers, yeah. Yeah. If you're if, if you're a, a contractor, independent contractor. I know many. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, no benefits. No representation. Most you, of these guys. You don't, even, you don't even have protection against wage theft. I got burned no. for twenty grand in unpaid wages. You know, it was the right. one and only Upwork job that I I got as an entry mm -hmm. level when I was trying to break into tech a few years back before I finds it fucking threw in the towel. So I got yeah, it, up. But um, the, yeah, whole, the whole dev team was stiffed. I mean, this startup, basically, when this woman and her partner got the money from the investors, they literally snorted it up their noses. And okay. my boss didn't get paid. The, the other two developers, um, well, one was an intern, and then there was me, a, 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 a beginner or junior-level dev. None of us got paid. And I couldn't just go and tell Penelec, my electric company, Hey, um, can will you guys accept karma points for payment? 
you know, know my only recourse yeah. as a 1099 worker would have been to, to to come up with money somehow that i didn't have to hire a lawyer that would be able to go after this startup located in texas and i live in pennsylvania right so we're talking uh to sue um not as a worker but as a vendor that's the legal status uh, that that a, that a contract worker has now what happens usually in those cases and this is what i was told by a, a free consultation lawyer in this um because i did try to go for my 20 grand unpaid wages believe me um is that that startup would likely based on you know statistical you know practices across the board of an established pattern is they would have filed bankruptcy reorganized in, on, under a new llc name and i would have just been and the other members of the develop the, the dev team we would have just been unsecured creditors which means that at the bankruptcy we wouldn't have gotten doo-doo you know and th th this is something that ubi can really address that if you do do work for somebody and they turn out to be a real shit ass and they pull a, a stinky like that you know it doesn't mean that your electric gets shut off in the middle of July and your insulin is going to spoil, which means if you're diabetic, you freaking die. You know, your food that you need to eat to take your insulin spoils and your insulin spoils, you know, and we're talking serious shit. Now, um, I don't, I don't see, I don't see how minimum wage would help people in that situation. I see how UBI would help people in that situation. And I see how UBI is you know for lack of a better term it is you know enough money to live it's it's right now what we have is that people who are not able to you know get because we've got too few regular quote w-2 jobs to go around for everybody who needs a job who's able to work um and what 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 we're saying to the people who get left out is um sorry but you get you get to suffer and die from poverty and we don't do that to convicted axe murderers in this country because of something called the Eighth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. That it is considered cruel and unusual punishment that even if you get somebody like Gary Gilmore, I don't know how, how up on your serial killer history you guys are, but I, I, I'm kind of weird that way. I have this thing about researching about serial killers. Anyway. Is he up there uh, with Ted Bundy? Oh, oh, yeah. I've researched all of them. Uh, Ed Gain, Ted Bundy. Um, uh gary leon ridgeway leon dayton uh, uh leon dayton rogers i think his name is or leroy dayton rogers that's right uh robert Pickton, while well, he was in canada um but bc is close enough to washington state so what the hell uh son of sam um you know all of them uh but but the point that, that i'm trying to get at is that gary gilmore and norman mailer wrote a book about him called the executioner song um we don't sentence these guys when we sentence them to death we keep them sheltered uh we don't make them sleep out in the freezing cold under an underpass okay and rob them of their blanket that might have been donated and deprive them of access to food we provide them with housing hot showers meals and medical care that medical care money. it may not be great okay but the thing is is that what we do to the people who've been pushed out of the economy who didn't commit a crime and hurt anybody is we let them suffer and die from preventable diabetic complications we let them suffer and die from exposure to the elements and we say oh, well you know 
because of this worker, this workism, this jobism nonsense. You would have been better off being a worse person. Uh, it, right. It's like, yeah, it's like, I, uh, uh, gee, I, I guess I should have been a serial killer instead of a trafficking victim. At least society would have fucking taken care of me. Yeah. 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 We, we have, we Sorry. have some deep rooted sickness. When I, start, when I start oh, truth telling, I'm all gas and no bricks. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to bring it back to what we were talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah, 1099 workers. Uh, they're, they're, I would say it's probably near 100% of these workers are exploited on some level. I, I come from a home delivery background. Time and time again, I would see contractors fuck over the people that work for them. Just, uh, yep, sorry, I'm not going to pay you. I, I, um, like a damage claim would come in. Like something that'd be an erroneous claim that uh, they damaged a person's property or the, the object that was being delivered. Yeah. And, it, and so th that money would would be just just, just taken from uh, uh, from that employee. I can't call them employees because they're not really you know employees or independent contractors, but just yeah, take their wages completely. And uh, it's it's a it's a, it's a terrible it, system. It's almost and, like uh, they've made it an art form to to shaft people. And and here's the thing: is this is the other thing with this workism that I have an issue with. Nobody can give me back a Monday, you know. And that was the other thing I didn't get to mention to Ron Placone while he was on. But nobody can give me back and reimburse me for my time for a Monday. And that was the other thing. It's like the time is the only commodity that the poorest that, that any of well, that the poorest people really have, you know, and to, to say, well, you know, you, you, you only get uh, to enough income to maybe barely survive. If that is if you're working at a what we define as a work, i.e. job, um, you know. And that was all stuff that I didn't get to, to address to him that um, I didn't want to go on and run on. But I, I hope the heck that you guys understand what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Every human being is allotted only so much time in our lives. And it should be considered extremely precious who we give that time to. Because uh, bingo, regardless of what you believe, at the end of your life, you're going to have to face whatever time you spent. And what did you spend it on? What mattered to you? got pushed aside because you had responsibilities to other people and to a society that didn't care what was happening to you. Exactly. And that's disgusting. Hmm. Exactly. And it's like, um, when I look back, you know, and that was the other thing. I was a good girl. I was a good girl, guys. Okay. Um, right. I was a good girl. When he said about Wall Street being the, uh, a casino, I was so tempted, but I was a good girl. I was so tempted to ask him when the last time he walked in to a casino and had to do a Fibonacci retracement on the fucking roulette tape, a roulette wheel. But but I was a good girl. I didn't say anything like well, that. Well, one of the things about <laughs> Wall Street is with a UBI also, instead of having it be all corporate, people like you and me could instead invest in things that we actually care about as opposed to people running um, algorithms to figure out what the best thing to jump on then is. If I'm, investing in I'm investing in Beyond Meat. If, yeah. you, if uh, hedge fund is investing in something, they don't even know what it is they're after. Uh, Beyond Meats is on my master list. They have very nice uh, bid-ask spread size on their puts and calls. If anybody wants to learn about options trading, hint, hint, Zach, hi. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, we can we can do this. It's just... You know, I, I think where a lot of the, the, the stuff gets hung up is that there's this idea that only people that, that have jobs that is defined as work, you know, matter. 
And I'm saying no. Um, if I were to have six years back of my life that I struggled, I had to go into debt to try to break into tech, to try to learn how to code as a dyslexic, as an older lady, around utility shutoffs. I had to go into debt for a vehicle, which we now no longer have because no income meant the car loan payment didn't get made, right? And did everything humanly possible. I even went the route of trying to, you know, get funded by saying, okay, fine, nobody wants to give me a job. Maybe some angel investor will fund my idea for the jackhammer project, which would have given, in, injected some transparency into the efficacy of a lot of these, you know, quote, charities that are actually, you know, shams, um, but that people donate to and they think, oh, well, these charities are helping people, but they're not. Um, and uh, go go travel 90 miles, the, the closest place where they had a computer meetup, which was Buffalo, only to not get a chance to even pitch after I put in all that work. And this is after six years of struggling with dyslexia to, to try to learn how to code as an older lady who grew up on the losing side of the digital divide, you know, who was lit, forced down the society's margins my whole life because of being a trafficking victim when I was 12. And it just maddens me to no end that people seem to think that my time was worth nothing. That, you know, six years of my life that I'll never get back. My husband, after seeing what I did to prevent homelessness, when a friend gifted me 350 bucks back in January to trade with into enough to get the, the back due property taxes paid, even though I had to withdraw everything out of my trading account to do that once I made the money to do it. And that was by riding the Santa Claus Valley in the uh, Santa Claus Rally in the January effect that enabled me to do that. Not every month is nice like that. Um, but the point being is that, um, you know, my husband who got to see for the first time and he was always the one with the income because I never had the, op the opportunity to earn any throughout my life. Right. And he saw what I was able to do. And he was like, now I trust you. And I, you know, I believe you. I tried to talk about trading with him when I was younger, when we first got married and he didn't understand it, didn't want anything to do with it. And since he was the one with an income, I didn't have any income of my own to do this with. Right. But he said to me, you know, that money that we had to whack out on credit cards uh, and for a car loan, you know, just for you to try to break in to try to get a chance for a job in this in-demand field of uh, the 21st century, the, the new economy. He says, he goes, looking back, he goes, I, I we should have just whacked that out on a, uh, as a cash advance. And I, you could have had that for your trading account. We probably wouldn't be living in a house with the roof literally collapsing on us that we can't afford 55 grand to get replaced. I probably wouldn't be poor. You know, he probably wouldn't be poor. And I said, yeah, I said, imagine that. I said, the concept of time being worth money, you know, and, and that's the thing I think that I have the biggest ax to grind with this whole workism and jobism uh, um, the thing that really put me so off to the FJG folks was when I saw them automatically, you know, wanting to, to go to this, this federal jobs guarantee, especially as Stephanie Kelton uh, had it uh, designed and she was the, 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 the brainchild of this for Bernie's campaign. Um, it completely ignored people with disabilities. It completely ignored people who were literally too poor and not even basically economically stable enough to even be able to get or keep any kind of job, even a quote unquote government guaranteed one. 
and then all those things are being ignored and i'm thinking to myself you know the only thing i have as a poor woman is my time and to have somebody feel that it's okay to steal that much time away from me on a, on a carrot and stick where i can never get the fucking carrot it pisses me off you know and that's why I, I really think we need to have a more cogent and honest conversation about what we mean by work, what we mean by, you know, um, human rights, human value. And, and you know, I, I can't see, I can't see, you know, having a, a society that, you know, throws the disabled under the bus the way it does by continuing along that vein of you know lionizing workers yeah yeah the whole i i know that a lot of them say when you ask mention the work working people's thing they don't mean literal workers but if you don't mean little workers then don't use the literal yeah. term workers it's exactly that's words, a fair request I words have meaning language matters it's a and, I'm, and you know what as, as somebody i'll tell you how much language matters I made the Associated Press cry uncle after four, three and a half years of beating them over the head to make them stop calling 12 and 13-year-old and 14-year-old trafficking victims prostitutes. Right. I finally made them cry uncle. Now, there was a reason for that, and that is because words are some very, very, very powerful sticks and stones. Words not only hurt, they can kill. Words have yeah. meaning. Language matters. And, you know, I'm sorry, guys. I don't mean to. <laughs> well, also, also going with like, what you're saying about, like, the workism, jobism stuff, there's, um, and this has happened, like, especially in the in the black community, where you have, like, these older people, these old folks, whatever, who are saying, who are looking at the young generation, even even the disabled, they're, like, um, they're saying, like, oh, just, just work at UPS, just, uh, you know, just uh, do <laughs> one of the most... You know some laborers jobs they'll go work at walmart or, or something um and and then when they and then uh you know they say like well back in my day you know i could get a job i could do this i could do that when i was your age and i'm like well it's a different time but then and then yeah when, when you try to argue when you try to like let them know that like listen i mean it, first off i'm not built that way and secondly um it's it did time now they'll, they'll just like they'll just guilt trip you and and say like you know you ain't shit like you're an embarrassment or you know and then and you'd be like well if you think you're so it's so easy well then why don't you do it and then they get all pissy and stuff um but but then um but then you know the moment we we get something we manage to get something going for us now all of a sudden they they acknowledge us and say you know i remember shoot my grandfather you know like when i when i looked out and got like a internship at a disability agency my my freaking grandfather was like, oh wow, I feel so much better, and and you know, meanwhile I'm just literally sitting there freaking dead because you know I just got done with I just got with done with school and all this other bullshit, and I'm I'm like I can't even I I'm not even there I can't even think I'm not even there in that vicinity, but all these people are just celebrating when they when I finally managed to get something, and then when when I you know when it didn't last when it didn't last whatever because it was a freaking 12-week internship they blame me and say well you know if you're not going to work at you know this place or whatever then i ain't you know helping you pay for your phone but i'm not you know you know you need to be a grown man and take responsibility you know and like and and you know it you know even 
I think they they know like uh like those with disabilities like well even if even if it's him like I think they know they just don't give a shit you know because it's like yeah. and it's, it's just a lot of projection involved because the bosses did to them everyone else did to them and you know and, they, and they're yeah you're right and you know what just sit there and take it you yeah. certainly did not deserve that okay and you know what you bring up such a, a very hard hitting point that I'm a pain in the ass. I'm gonna be a pain in the ass about it too, because you know, you're right. And that is this idea that, you know, the 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 the, the great working class heroes, the brothers and sisters, this is what I heard during my days as a commie before I became Yang Gang and burned my commie card and most recently my radical feminist card too. I'll explain later if you guys want to know about that. But you know, the this idea that, you know, it, it's like the you see how it's all about rah, 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 solidarity for the workers until a working class brother or sister gets pushed out of the economy or, or becomes disabled and can't work anymore. Then it's, oh, you mooch, you moocher, you social parasite. You're sucking up my tax dollars because you're getting SSI. There's nothing, you don't look like there's anything wrong with you and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what a bunch of shit. Can I say that on the radio, on the air? <laughs> Yes, yes, you can say shit here. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I don't it's, think that we follow George Carlin's yeah. words you can't say on television rules. Right? Yeah, and I, I, oh, I cool. think I think much worse has been said already. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Maybe we should have Andrew I'm, Yang I'm on. He can tell us. Health. I mean, I realize. Right, you know. and and then and then nobody nobody talks about just the people who are just born into inherited wealth, which are like the assholes trying to take the uh, extra unemployment away then then they they already have like tons of money and they never worked a day in their life but then they rile up their base to like talk about the moochers which they're the biggest moochers on the face of the fucking planet with their you know congressional salaries but then they want to get you angry at the person who lost their job through oh, no fault of their oh, own oh you mean like so uh, this you mean ariel you mean like uh, like uh, kentucky's uh, mitch uh, mcconnell or as vic mcconn job yeah, Miss the bitch. Miss the. You know what they call him? You know what Vic DiBedetto calls him? He's a great comedian. I love watching his. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> Miss the chicken shit. A Kentucky, um, uh, fried, fried piece of taint. Taint. Yeah, it's like oh. <laughs> Kentucky. One thing that's important to note about those people as well is that their states are also some of the poorest states that rely mm -hmm. the most on welfare. At the same time, Kentucky, I think, um, wasn't there a town hall <laughs> where somebody basically confronted him on that, saying, you know, we yeah. are the most dependent state of all the states, and you're but talking he's about He's the biggest leech on the face of the earth. That's an yeah. understatement. They're convincing their own people that the right idea is um, <laughs> individualism, while their own people depend the most yeah. on the safety net of any other state. Yeah, they're scum, and and you see, and this is the workism brainwashing that that they'll they'll, they'll they they fight against their own best interests because they're ideologically married to bullshit, and they're too stupid to understand that. And it's an incestuous relationship at that. To their own yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like I I could think of a whole lot of words, and they, and if I run out of any, I can make up some. You know, it's just just I, I like 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 we have like the red Nekistan parts of the country in the south and the north. We're just like totally ignorant. <laughs> it's like I had to explain to my neighbors who are now getting a taste, you know, um, and they they were former 
Trump voters are planning on voting for Trump again. And, you know, um, uh, I, I don't have anything against them. They're not bad people. But now they're wondering why um, they, they couldn't get certain help. I said, well, you know what? Here's the problem. There was this guy named Andrew Yang who had this really brilliant idea. And the DNC being the um, feted... Pieces of crap. Assholes. Feted, rotten sepulcher that it is... Okay, whose ethics is somewhere between the turlet and the sewer. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to rant, but Mr. Yang did not get a chance to bring the help that we needed. Here is here is the problem. We need a social floor. I said, you know that crap you went through to try to to get help for you know for this family member who got you know disabled and lost their job and all this, and now you're facing losing your home to a sheriff's sale. I said, you can thank those who thwarted, who basically thwarted the one candidate who would have helped everybody. Uh, because here's my, the, my neighbors were told they'd made $10 a month too much to qualify even for food stamps. And I told them, I said, well, you want to know the kicker? I said, now that we're going into shutdown mode again, guess how much those food stamps would be of help to you during a pandemic when the only way you can buy food as A, if you have a car to get to the supermarket. B, um, if you have money or, you know, in your checking account to use your debit card to pay for grocery delivery through Instacart. I said, which with, with everything going into shutdown mode again, with only curbside pickup being available and Instacart. I said, your, your, your food stamp benefits would be worth less than toilet paper because at least toilet paper can wipe your ass. You can't do that with a card. I use my food stamp card to clean out the crevices in my mechanical keyboard, because that's all it's worth. Some yeah, good this news, is why... Amazon is starting to take food stamps, by the way. Yeah. If not in my state. Not in every state, but it's starting to. And like, keep an eye on it, because a lot of them, because of the pandemic specifically, actually are starting I, to I have been, I have, I have been a huge, a huge enough pain in the ass that Preparation H, should have been skyrocketing, okay, on, on, on you know, the, the, who, the makers of Preparation H. That company should have been skyrocketing because I've been crawling up my congressman's ass sideways about this since the, the in March when the pandemic happened. And Pennsylvania was one of the states that had one of the most strictest lockdowns. And, you know, I was saying, hey, look, we've got shut-ins here, no cars, nobody to help us, no living family to help. You know, there's an elderly lady up the street from us. Same situation. She's in her 70s. They gave her food stamps that she literally could not use. Okay. And she still has them. But there is there is nobody to help with rides to the store. And when a lot of the stores in our areas, they were just saying, no, we're only doing, we're doing contactless shopping now because of the pandemic. And you know, it, that means you have to use, like, the curbside pickup if you have a car to actually get there. And to do that, you have to pay for the food online in advance through the supermarket's own website platform. And the one form of payment they do not take is the food stamp card. So when anybody says how great these social programs are, I'd like to tell them to shove it up their ass. Good things don't hurt them. But money saved my life. Money is why... I didn't end up go, dying going in a diabetic coma from trying to take insulin without food, which yeah. you need to eat to take insulin, right? It was money that saved my life because that was the only way I was able to buy food. And nobody can tell me that 
you know, anybody who, who operates along this false premise that we need these so-called programs that are punitive, that are humiliating and debilitating and about as helpful as tits on a boar hog. I got a, I got, I got some words to tell them in 52 different languages and they all begin with F and end in you. Yeah. Like, you know, if I, I, if I had like a, if I had like a UBI, I would, I would have the funds to like, you know, move or, you know, like, uh, do become a full-time content creator. Um, you yeah. know, and, and do, I do mean, all you can work for yourself and your time is so precious, Izzy. Yeah. Your time is so precious. Nobody can give you back a Monday. No, that is no. your time. You yeah. know, I mean, should anybody else really be allowed to hold a gun to your head, right, right. a proverbial gun to your head and say, give me your time or you it's, suffer and die? Right. To a certain extent, it's like we're all being trafficked by these disgusting systems into, you know, things that we might hate <laughs> or we don't want because of because of non-UBI and non-UBI creates a system of just like people being objects and subjects instead of human beings economic you know? actors like Andrew says right you know, exactly. a lot of people discuss how um, when you're buying a product you're supporting whatever means they are uh, using to um, create it like uh, if they're using bad labor overseas or whatnot but uh, yeah. the part that often gets left out is that if you are have to work for a company yeah. that has bad ethics in right. order to survive, you are also supporting those uh, fringe outside things. And in the meantime, right. you're right. also being exploited at the same time. So, like, the amount of terror that is put on a person, the amount of unintended right. consequences that you can be complicit in just to survive. Right. Are but but if we all collectively important. decide to opt out, they can't do anything. But what that's why they do? have to... What are they going to do? Take away our birthday? Right, exactly. The the thing is, is that, but but they're but that's Don't why they have them, their, their 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 propaganda <laughs> machines, their propaganda machines in full blast to 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 drive wedges in between people who could who can talk to each other and we actually yeah. organize. So so that that's that's where they spew out their filth on uh, on legacy media. So and that's why we have that's why we have independent. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, we are over time. Mm. So thank you all. Sorry if um, I had a very bad case of verbal. Uh, it was either going no, to be you or me. Oh God, guys, I'm okay, idle. Guys, it's all right. Like, you're you're you entitled. It's all right. Idled. We're all human. Uh, just real quick before we go, Izzy. You know, uh, we like, we got a lot of that work shaming in the Jewish community too. You know, my Jewish relatives are always like, "Oh, you're so smart. Why can't you just go get yeah, in computers like that?" Makes some fucking the computers like shale. that makes any sense no. in the world. But anyway, yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> thank you for listening. Just learn uh, the code. My, my Twitter know. is at s h a e l r i l e y. Ariel, you want to go ahead and give your Twitter? Sure. Talk about so the my cow. Twitter is at. Ariel's underscore Amal. That's A R I E L S underscore A R M A D A. I I just put up a video yesterday on revolutionary thinking. Uh, YouTube.com slash revolutionary thinking. And if you want some awesome drone photos, I'm building it out. It's Ariel's underscore Ariel's on Instagram. So that's A R I E L S underscore A E R I A L S. Thank you. And Jacqueline Homan, I'm at Jacqueline Homan on Twitter. And um, you can also grab merch off my Teespring, which is also called 99 Reasons Why, the same as my Patreon, because I can think of 99 reasons why and invent enough words to 
elaborate on the reasons why for anything. And uh, so there's that. And right, well, my name is Zach. Uh, thank you all for listening today. My Twitter is Z-A-C-H underscore S-A-C-H-E-R. And once again, you could check out my own YouTube channel at The Liberal Conservative Report. I, I, I checked it out, by the way, Zach, and I checked out Ariel's, and I wanted to say I, I like you guys' channels. Cool. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I guess I should go next. Um, I am Mia Dunford at Mia Songbird, no spaces, and uh, Songbird as it sounds, but Mia with M-E-A on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, I will be uh, doing volunteer work for Humanity Forward on Tuesdays and Fridays if you want to come do Humanity Hangs at any time. I'll be there. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, everybody. This is Jeremy. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jeremy Savings One. That is J E R E M Y S A M M O N S and the number one. Jeremy. Is it my turn or? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Izzy Bowden. Uh, hope you. Thanks for tuning in. Glad you. Hope you enjoyed uh, this this uh, conversation. Um, my Twitter handle. As well as my Instagram handle is, you know, at, you know, Izzy Bolden, I-Z-Z-Y-B-O-L-D-E-N. And I believe it's also for my Facebook. I also have a uh, Facebook page uh, for, you know, my brand, Izzy Land, along with um, Instagram page, Izzy Land Graham. And, you know, my YouTube is Izzy Land YT, has a lot of the content creating stuff, you know, content creator based stuff, you know, visuals and all that. And then there's Izzy Land Uncut, the podcast and i'm planning on doing my first episode probably today or tomorrow um but then i know yang speaks is on tomorrow so i don't want to compete unless the chief lets me but um um i also have a i also have a support group uh is your land support and beyond on facebook so like if you know if if you if you need a platform or you know if you got something you want to something you want to share whatever you know it could be anything you know would it be something fun or just something you know personal or anything you know you know, just just don't be afraid to join. You know, it's like and and you know, I'm the I'm the moderator, so you know, no 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 BS, no you know, we we treat each other like family and stuff. But um, yeah, and and um, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I got. I mean, I do have a Patreon and stuff, but it's it's like it's it's not really up. And uh, yeah, that's 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 all I have uh, before I like blank out. But no, thank you, Izzy. Yeah. Um, you know, you can tell us about the Patreon next time, whenever it's up. And, uh, you know, I would not worry about competing with the boss. People can listen to two podcasts a day, or they can listen to yours the next day. Maybe you'll follow Maybe me after. Okay. <laughs> um, we love you for listening. We love you for watching. And I love you guys for participating. Thank you, everyone. And we will see you next week. Be good to each other. Stay safe out there. Don't get sick. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye, all. <laughs>